Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Syria Security Seminar Series in uh, Fall 2022. My name is Dongyan Chu. I am the director of Sirius here at Purdue University. It's my great pleasure to open the fall seminar series and my honor to introduce our first speaker, Professor Kevin Carnegie from uh, Morgan State University. Uh, Professor Carnegie received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from Pratt Institute in New York in 1985 and his master and PhD degrees in electrical and computer electrical engineering from the University of California at Berkeley in 1990 and 1992, respectively. Uh, he's currently the Eugene Deloach Endowed Professor in Cybersecurity and Director of the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center at Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. Kevin's research interests include hardware and software assurance, reverse engineering, secure embedded systems, side channel analysis, and fault injection. He serves on or has served on the technical program committees of several international conferences, including the IEEE Symposium on Hardware-Oriented Security and Trust, USENIC Security Symposium, and the IEEE Physical Assurance and ins in Inspection of Electronics, and the ACN Great Lakes Symposium on VRSI. Kevin is the recipient of multiple awards, including the NSF Career Award, IBM, Fellow, uh, IBM Faculty Partnership Award, National Semiconductor Fa Faculty Development Award, and the General Motors Faculty Fellowship Award. Now, without, uh, without further ado, uh, Professor Kevin Carnegie. Uh, thank you, Dong Yang, for that uh, great uh, um, introduction. And good afternoon uh, for those of, to the, those of you out in the audience. So um, today I'm going to take you on a little journey um, um, regarding the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center. So, um, ooh. okay, there we go. So we're, I'll give you an overview um, from a historical perspective. And then I'll dive, uh, do a cursory dive in, into the type of research uh, where I'll highlight um, two, at least two specific projects to, to give you some perspective on the breadth of the type of research that we do. I'll talk a little bit about our academic programs and uh, conclude with uh, um, some. Uh, ideas about how we um, do workforce development. So our journey began in 2014 with an NSF RISE grant. So when I arrived at uh, Morgan, <laughs> they didn't give out startup packages or anything. So before I could uh, get graduate students and build research infrastructure, I needed money. So I wrote an NSF RISE grant, which is a research instr instrumentation uh, in science and engineering uh, grant. So it's really for, um, to build up um, uh, capacity, help you build up capacity and infrastructure. Um, in 20, uh, so now this with that, I founded the, Cream Lab, uh, which is the first lab that's just now been subsumed by the, the CAP Center, but the Cream Lab 
Uh, CREAM stands for the Center for Reverse Engineering and Assured Microelectronics. Um, then we started to branch out and, and, and develop partnerships, uh, uh, particularly with the folks in the intelligence community. So we had a pilot program at, at the National um, Security Agency in 2016. And what followed after that also, well, actually that same year, we became an NSA Center for Academic Excellence in Cyber Defense Education. Uh, we launched, uh, subsequent to that, we launched a massive engineering and cyber engineering uh, program in 2017, which is a um, civilian, Navy civilian program where they sent a cohort here for a year and they get, uh, you know, uh, they, the program is a information assurance focused um, curriculum. Uh, and then in 2018 with us, funds from the, the state of Maryland, we became the, uh, um, the Cybersecurity Assurance and Policy Center. And we've grown uh, from a 2000 square foot laboratory to two floors in a building. So um, as I mentioned, we're a CAE, we were just redesignated in uh, um, uh, this actually, um, earlier this year, and we plan to um, become a CAER, submit our designation um, in uh, this fall. Our mission is effectively to provide the intelligence community with knowledge, methodology, methodology solutions, and hardy skills cybersecurity workforce to help prevent the penetration and manipulation of our nation's cyber physical infrastructure. So because we live in a society where everything's connected to everything and, and uh, we have these at the, you know, from the edge to the cloud, you have a variety of smart devices uh, in the homes, hospitals, et cetera. And at, but at the very heart of these, um, devices or embedded systems. So, uh, so effectively, the the everything today. If you think of about a Tesla, it's just a collection of um, electronic control units, which are embedded systems. Uh, it may have over a Tesla may have over three hundred of these devices, and um, it's just a mobile IoT platform. And so we use invasive and non-invasive, mostly non-invasive techniques, uh, both on the hardware side and software side to assess the assurance of these embedded systems. And uh, so our research, um, you'll see uh, in the following slides, uh, how we, uh, we integrate that into our instruction as well as our, our research and how they're tightly coupled. Um, is our faculty, um, the university graduated from. So uh, this, we are a center. Um, these are, the faculty are hard, well, actually they are, um, they receive a reduced teaching load so that they can conduct research exclusively, being, exclusively in the center. So they, 
Um, the primary goal is to research, although they are affiliated with uh, an academic unit or department. So um, we have affiliate faculty who are not supported by the, um, by the center, meaning their salaries and all, but uh, they come from other um, places on campus, uh, including the School of Business and the School of Mathematics, Computing and Natural Sciences. And we, our staff, we have uh, postdocs, visiting scientists and faculty. Um, we consider ourselves uh, subject matter experts in um, secure embedded systems, hardware, reverse engineering, software, reverse engineering, hardware security, uh, AI and machine learning from the, um, uh, we're concerned about the algorithms and, and, and um, uh, the trustworthiness of the algorithms from that perspective. And um, also as it pertains to secure autonomy. Um, so, um, our funding sparks, we have funding and sponsors and uh, we have tons of part academic part collaborators. Uh, so we, we have funds from the National Security Agency, National Science Foundation, Sandia National Labs. Uh, so we, we have um, federal agencies, we have U university applied research centers that we're affiliated with and federally funded research and development centers. And this uh, includes NIST and MITRE, various companies uh, and so forth. Um, and universities, uh, including within, um, Purdue and that's growing, um, we just uh, working with several faculty um, collaborating on um, um, recently a recent collaboration on a, a grant proposal and just received an invitation for another. So, um, so back to now uh, talk a little bit about our research and there's a lot of talk about um, zero trust and, and, um, and one thing I want to say about zero trust is not a technology, it's really a, a set of policies and, and, and a way of thought, um, but in, as far as how you, where you establish your, um, your security per perimeter. In a traditional setting, um, they establish a single perimeter all the way around um, the, uh, um, all the way around the enterprise. And um, this, as we've seen, the you know, they use a firewall to prevent threats. Um, but today where most networks are software, use software-defined networking technology um, in a zero trust defense, it focuses really on resource protection. So they, bring the implicit trust zone is closer or directed at the actual resource um, uh, itself. So where the, the onus is, you don't trust anyone. 
Okay, that's the basic idea. Uh, and there's a lot of attestation that, that goes on. Um, and you, you, you just effectively, you don't trust any device or anyone. So, and uh, it has its pros and cons, but really it's, um, it's just a strategy that leverages um, really policy issues and uh, to prevent data breaches. But uh, as I stated earlier, it is not a technology or product. Uh, does that mean, it also does that mean you're making the system more trusted? It's just a different way of, of protecting your system, okay? It does have some challenges and particularly um, today in this whole everything connected to everything in the world that we live in, um, these IoT uh, devices in particular, billions and billions, and as the cities become more um, inundated with these devices, and uh, you know they permeate every aspect of our daily lives. So there isn't uh, a moment in the day where we don't interact with some kind of IoT device. So, um, uh, so. These uh, I, they present challenges, and um, um, and these devices are have, are constrained, uh, resource constrained in terms of uh, computation, in terms of storage, so forth. So, um, and they don't they lack uh, any kind of most of them uh, lack any kind of the develop without security in mind. So. Um, and then, so how do you, um, in the zero trust framework, how do you, um, address, um, you know, you have time uh, to access time resources, um, when you have to uh, move the implicit trust region to the actual resource, um, this, uh, heterogeneity presents uh, a challenge and as well as legacy uh, technology. You have, you know, for example, an old camera that's been on your system that hasn't been patched in ye for years, but it still exists and you've forgotten about it. That device is, <laughs> hackers are very skillful, very smart. So they exploit all these types of weaknesses. So, um, we created uh, our, our laboratory environment um, is a, an experimental framework that we developed and um, beginning with the CapNet, which is a zero trust SOFA-defined SOFA networking environment. We were able to accomplish this um, because we have our own data line coming in and we're totally <coughs> independent of the university's IT infrastructure. So that gives us a lot of flexibility to do all kinds of neat things. So, um, so we have uh, this testbed framework, where you have these common interfaces, but where we have well, each of these frameworks, uh, we have sensors where we can 
collect data and so forth. Uh, and each of these, it spans across different different um, sectors, such as uh, the home automation, uh, smart building, smart grid. And we have literally hundreds of devices. And these are real world devices. Um, and so we wanna create this heterogeneity so we can then, um, we can then look at the attack surface and, and, and see where the threats are. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, sensitive networks that include uh, narrowband IoT, LoRa, ZigBee, these, and Bluetooth. Um, we have our cloud off to the right. We have own data center. And uh, the connectivity, would, we've just, uh, we're not planning to integrate uh, a 5G testbed and um, we just purchased. So with this, what this does, it presents for the student research, for our student researchers, our graduate students and our undergraduate students, they are, they, we present them with a, this, uh, this presents a, a virtually flat or horizontal attack surface. So you don't know where the attacks are gonna come from. So we look at, so we assessed, and our goal is to provide security and depth from the edge to the cloud. So our philosophy regarding our strategy is uh, to treat uh, security um, uh, at, like an onion. So, so where we have, because there's no single bullet that, to, that handles, uh, addresses everything. So the first project I'm going to talk about is uh, addresses deals with uh, various types of attacks on on the you know from the sensor network side. Um, you can imagine uh, you have uh, you have trash. Oh, you've seen them. You probably you go in a parking lot. You have these uh, sensors that let you know if there's a space available and so forth and uh, um, someone can wreak havoc. <laughs> of course, you could visually see if the space, but um, these networks are everywhere. So, um, and again, the, the objective is to, to evaluate and assess um, the um, vulnerabilities and um, to really answer the question, what types of threats do IoT devices pose to 5G? So can you effectively um, enact a denial of service at, um, attack on a 5G network um, from the edge? So those are the types of things um, um, and uh, given our infrastructure, research infrastructure. Um, and on the one side of the spectrum, you have IoT devices that have, that are power and um, uh, computationally constrained and, and, and uh, storage constraints. So um, 
and they don't have any features, but can you leverage that? And, and we're looking at really the convergence of IoT, 5G and AI, can you leverage that to um, enhance, provide enhanced security? And where you're taking advantage of the, on the cloud side, that you have limited power, you have high computing, and you have lots of uh, resources and tools. So um, we set out to um, develop this. So uh, we 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 do a lot of we're very hardware intensive and. Um, and um, and I'll talk a little bit later about our Secure Embedded Systems PhD program, where we uh, we have courses that are designed to help students uh, impart to it's designed and developed to impart the requisite skills necessary to um, address to work in the space. So, um, what we have to do. You know, our infrastructure and our test beds require <laughs> uh, lots of development time. So um, we are uh, leveraging on the cloud side, AWS has this nice suite of tools that you can uh, leverage and in particular visual, visualization tools. Um, so we just built out uh, several um, uh, test beds that uh, and spread them across the different uh, rooms in, in the uh, building. Um, but here we can have take advantage of full end-to-end -end access, and we can do this remotely. And this was particularly useful in um, during COVID. But as a matter of fact, our collaborators who want to work with us and they want to collect data, uh, they could. They don't have to physically be in a lab. Uh, and so this laid the groundwork for um, our framework. Uh, additionally, you need some additional tools though, um, um, to perform the, the, the various types of attacks. Um, so we're concerned with the, the, the infrastructure that I showed you earlier. Um, we're really concerned about the types of attacks that we're concerned about are asymmetric attacks where folks use low or cheap end technology, but the, the end result is, is profound. They want is striking. So it brings the system down. Um, so uh, there's plenty of, there's lots of tools out there for hacking, um, particularly in the, in the wireless domain. There's software-defined radios, uh, there's HackRF1. There's lots of cheap, these things are cheap. Uh, there's, uh, there's uh, um, to, to configure them, use GNU radio, which is available, it's open source, it's free. Um, there's lots of packet analyzers and so forth. So, so with these inexpensive tools uh, and hardware, you can, Performed all types of tax attacks, such as eavesdropping, replay, jamming, and you know you can also alter the data. So, um, so we set out to develop a low-cost jammer. Um, 
And I'll just, um, so after we built the hardware, developed the framework, um, we wanted to see how, the next question is how can we leverage machine learning to, um, to, um, in, to develop a countermeasure to a, a jamming. So in fact, the idea is the simple idea. This is analogous to um, some of the things they currently do in the wireless uh, domain. When um, you have an attack, you just you want to effectively detect it and then maybe change, switch to a different channel, you know, uh, um, different encryption or whatever um, maneuver that you. Uh, want to implement. But um, within the AWS uh, uh, AI tool suite, there, we can use the anomaly detection algorithms because what we're looking at really are uh, uh, features um, that we're considering and we have to leverage the, the harness, the compute computational power of the, the cloud. So, um, but you got to choose the right features. You got to use the right algorithms. You got to worry about uh, um, uh, false positives, uh, false negatives, and true positives, and uh, and the training. You need lots of data because uh, uh, or a large data set to to train, and so that you can minimize the false positives. But the, uh, the uh, algorithm that we of choice that we're using is the recurrent neural networks LSTM model. And so uh, jamming countermeasure, uh, 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 this is uh, how we utilize this in a, a um, and I call it cloud in the loop where we actually um, do some pre-processing uh, uh, on the data. Uh, this is, of course, after the uh, um, the, the AI is trained. Uh, we get a score. We do some post-processing, and then we can uh, we we uh, basically channel hop. And um, this uh, we this is the um, um, this is the countermeasure that we have developed um, or currently developing. So uh, it, we've done a, a proof of concept it, and uh, the result, initial results are, are very promising. Our next project deals with, so this, the previous project dealt with uh, one end of the spectrum at the cloud, so to speak leveraging cloud resources to enhance security. So this one, we're working at the other end of the spectrum, right at the edge or at the, the actual IoT device. And uh, this project involved um, our work in the NIST lightweight crypto. Um, so we wanted to, the, the 10 finalists, final algorithms that were selected are um, we want to see how resilient they are to side channel attacks. So um, 
uh, side channel attacks of uh, two types as EM attacks, but I'm gonna dive a little deeper into, you know, what is a side channel attack? So I'm, I'm gonna skip a few slides. So the way we, this is a classic, uh, it's, it's on, it's found on the basis of the channel, um, Shannon's, um, or uh, it's, it's a basic communications problem. So whereby every electronic device, it, it leaks, they naturally leak information. So these are through unintended channels. Okay, and those these unintended channels are side channels. Um, so you either have intended or unintended. The intended channels that where you want to leak your data information to include your displays, you know, card readers, etc. Um, but the, your unintended channels are, uh, could be the EM radiation um, uh, that. Uh, Emanating that emanates from the device, uh, sound, light. Um, you can use time or power. And if you can develop, so it's a channel, and typically attacks usually require eavesdrop, eavesdropping, whether someone logs into your network, uh, gets into your network and sits there to monitor things, or they're listening in, you need uh, a some kind of receiver to um, listen in on that channel. So, and they require, and you need access. So, um, and there are two types of uh, side channel with channel attacks, passive and active. The passives, they ones, they analyze things such as uh, timing, power, electromagnetic uh, emissions. Uh, and, and where the goal is you just want to observe, uh, you want to access the device so that you can observe it while it's doing its crypto operation. So if you can do so today, if you can do so, you can actually um, use uh, correlation analysis to brute force and computers are very fast, lots of memory today, so you can brute force and you can actually recreate the encryption key just by guessing um, and using, uh, but you have to, there's a little bit more involved in that. And then you have your active, uh, where you want to alter the device's behavior. And for example, you want to, you have a secure boot Okay, where it sits in a loop and waits for you to enter a password or what have you. You can zap the device with a glitch, a voltage glitch, or um, an EM pulse. And since the non-invasive ways to use EM, so a lot of our work is uh, done using EM. So it's or it, where we can go through package, and you could if you zap it at the right time you can cause it to step out of that loop that is in while it's waiting for it's, you know, a key entry. And this is fault injection. So these are very effective techniques too. And the, the power analysis technique, well, all power analysis techniques, 
rely on the switching activity of MOS, the, the MOSFET devices. And uh, you have during these transitions, when the, the, while the, the gate is transitioning, it emits power. And it's that power um, that you can use to correlate with uh, measured, with uh, actual measured data. So, uh, so we said you got to uh, build an experiment. So we have a target board um, that's run where you have a better pro processor that's running a 128-bit counter mode. Um, uh, most of the uh, new standards, uh, the uh, the uh, finalists, final algorithms use AES counter mode and. Um, encryption. And so we implemented on a Core Z7 board and so forth. But what's required uh, in your setup, you need a scope, you need uh, a probe, of course, um, and you need a computer to control and acquire, to um, gather the data so that you can do your correlation analysis. Okay. And um, uh, so you have an XYZ station, but the one, but before you even start that, you need to, uh, so this is on the left, the picture on the left is the actual target. So we have on an XYZ station and you, before you do anything, you need to know where you're gonna probe. You don't have any prior information or knowledge about the layout where the cryptographic uh, operations are performing on a chip. So you do an exhaustive scan to find, you put the chip in a, um, the crypto, crypto in a loop and you run it and you exhaustively scan the chip until you find the sweet spot to where all of the activity is. So that's where you're gonna launch your EM attack, okay? And so after you do that, there are other issues that you have to, uh, worry about uh, um, such as you want to make sure that the signal to noise ratio is pretty good in order to uh, that's a requirement to perform um, side channel uh, uh, perform correlation analysis and uh, we, we uh, the uh, correlation and we use we develop some tools using MATLAB to do the correlation analysis, we're using the Pearson correlation where, which allows you to compare uh, uh, two data sets. So we collect over about 3 million data sets. So this is a correlation parallel analysis is very, very, um, very time consuming. You know, set up, you got to collect the traces and so forth. And, but we, uh, but you can do you can set it up and automate. Some of it can be automated. A lot of can be automated. Um, so what we've learned um, from our uh, this experiment is that uh, um, we can Jaffe is another attack that show that there's very little to know. Um, uh, material in literature. Um, that shows the effective, effectiveness of the Jaffe attack on, on 
correlation power analysis. So um, we wanted to see how well uh, we, you know, how effective it can be. And um, the results we got was very promising. Uh, we were able to uh, recover uh, the first bite. Um, and um, uh, using a first order. So Jaffe attack is, is, is a, an attack that not only can you get the loud, uh, Jaffe attack can get you, give you uh, the encryption key, the key, but in addition to that, you can also get the nouns that was used to generate the key. And so, um, yeah. So this shows it's, it's very promising. Um, uh, but again, this is at months of work and it's going to, to, to break 128-bit encryption. Lots of, we have, uh, the, this runs on a, uh, a server, <laughs> would be run the software. Um, uh, but uh, some of the things we want to accomplish um, is uh, to reduce, uh, one thing is to reduce the number of traces. Uh, Jaffe attack requires lots of traces. Uh, and the whole key here, the key idea here is to reduce the amount of time on the on a system. Uh, we also want to perform test vector leakage assessment on uh, known keys. So, uh, now a little bit about, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit and talk about a workforce development strategy. Um, where we began, it begins at the, really at the sixth to eighth grade level. And so we have uh, stringed together uh, uh, some very successful programs that we have and um, that work, and, and this is particular model works because, uh, anyways, we, we start with the Gen Cyber program. That's a NSA program, and the program we have it where we bring uh, about forty middle school girls in from the Baltimore city for about over a two week period of the summer, and we introduce them to basic cyber concepts. Uh, they then go on to the local high schools, they graduate, and then we have the PACE program, the pre-accelerated curriculum in engineering program called PACE, where we bring the, these are uh, students who are, um, we bring them in the summer before their freshman matriculation. And we, um, over a five week period, we have them on campus, and we introduce them to, uh, we get a total immersion in uh, calculus and physics. And uh, we assess them at the program and those students, um, those students, I, uh, the top 10% or so of the students I offer scholarships to right off the bat. I pair them with a mentor. So um, our philosophy, so what drives all of this is our philosophy, which is centered around, um, uh, it takes a village to raise a, a family. So where every stakeholder 
who uh, um, interacts with that student plays a pivotal role uh, in their success. Uh, but where all this uh, takes money. And so we were able to leverage a wide variety of, of, of sources, funding sources and programs to, um, to um, um, such as the, the NIST prep program, which is, enables us to, for our graduate students, for example, the, is a professional research experience program where they actually pair, there's lots of mentoring. So they, they not only provide um, uh, support to fund the students, but they also provide mentors. So, so we have uh, the students, student peer mentors, as well as professional uh, mentors um, who come from, uh, uh, you know, our, our partners. They're either other universities where we have, uh, um, where uh, these, we have faculty from different universities serving on the students' dissertation committee. Our same goes for our industry and government partners. Uh, there, we require that all of our PhD students, they they have an industry of you know uh, their uh, sponsor, mentor, and who serves on the dissertation committee. This ensures. This is all to helps to ensure student success. Um, so we at the, the BS level, undergraduate level, we have a wide variety of capstone. We have different ways to engage um, the students to help them get experiential learning experiences, uh, either through industrial internships, capstone projects, involving industry uh, with industry mentors or work uh, throughout the year with the student team on the project. Um, so uh, a little bit about our academic programs. We have three, our CAE and cyber defenses. Uh, we, these are the courses. Uh, so we have our BS program in electrical and computing engineering where students take these five or six courses and they receive uh, the BS in ECE with a cybersecurity concentration. Uh, we, as I mentioned earlier, we have the MISI program and then we have our PhD program in secure embedded systems, um, which is a, um, uh, where students can come in from the, which requires uh, students who come in uh, with a bachelor's degree to complete 60 credit hours. And uh, students who come in with a master's degree uh, can complete 36 hours. Um, and this is, uh, includes an en passant master's. So they pick up their master's after completing, automatically after completing 30 credit course hours. Um, so this program is kind of unique. Um, oh, I'm going a little over. So although we started, so these are the courses affiliated with the, the program. Uh, 
the skills profile of this, the students who, uh, um, who grad, you know, graduate from the program. Uh, they have background in cryptography, software, hardware, communication, understanding communication protocols, a uh, little bit of policy, um, operating systems, AI, and so forth. So these are the skills. And lastly, the workforce impact, just to give you some data. Uh, we're now up to about 25 students. PhD students in the Secure Embedded Systems program. 30% uh, of women, women and 83% are US citizens. Uh, the model I just showed you earlier, it works. These four, we just graduated our first cohort of uh, students um, in this past May, uh, who will be joining the likes of NSA, Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, NIST, and one is a postdoc in, in, in uh, the CAP Center for a year. All of our students are fully funded. So we have a scholarship for service, a DOD scholarships, GEM scholarships, MITRE, NIST, prep scholars, and so forth. So um, that concludes my um, presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin.